Welcome to the Ignite Physio Podcast. This podcast inspires physiotherapists and other health professionals to continue learning and growing in their practice and career. We explore professional issues with a fresh lens and delve into topics that help to expand our capacity for growth. This is episode number 33, and I'm Andrew. And I'm Maxie. And the tables have been turned today. Usually, Andrew is the one peppering guests with questions and he's you know i've i've certainly been on the the guest side of the That's microphone right, you have, yeah. uh but today andrew is the guest and i get to control what's happening right <laughs> oh, no. truly truly this is a conversation there is no control um it, that could be good or bad however we are doing episode as andrew said episode 33 and it's our we're going to have a conversation about sleep and specifically um a part of that will be uh a project that Andrew has been working on or has worked on and continues to work on. Um, and that is a sleep, a, a book that he's written, sleep health matters. Um, and so that's going to kind of, uh, help shape uh, the conversation today. Um, so thanks for being on the show. Well, Andrew. Yes. Glad to be here. <laughs> Shameless. Shameless. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So, you know, not many people, you know, there are people who wake up, you know, or who, who grew up thinking, I want to write a book, um, you know, but not many clinicians uh, think about, you know, or maybe they think about, oh, I want to write a book, but then when, you know, rubber hits the road, writing a book is a big deal, oh, yeah, it is, right? Yeah. It's a big deal. So I guess I'm curious just, you know, how you got interested in, in sleep and, and even thinking about writing a book about sleep. Yeah, I mean, I think that it... Uh you know, it started, uh, well, I mean, I've had my own issues with sleep and insomnia. So I think that there's, there was sort of a vested interest in terms of, I got to figure out, uh, you know, what's going on and, and, um, and just educate myself on that topic. But I think there was really uh, one, uh, patient experience that I had probably about four years ago where, um, you know, I was treating this patient and he had, uh, you know, complex regional pain syndrome and, uh, you know, his, his sleep was, was, was awful. And, and, you know, he's really just struggling with a lot of things. And he, um, and we, we talked about sleep and I was like, you know what, there's, and I mean, obviously he was, you know, in a lot of pain and, and was having a hard time just functioning generally. And, um, and so then I, uh, you know, I was like, I, I want to delve more into this aspect of sleep. Like, is there something that we can do to, to help improve sleep? And, and I, I remember, you know, giving him this sort of standard sleep hygiene rules and, you know, he was a nice guy. So I think he just, you know, he smiled and, and nodded. And I, truthfully, I think he knew already what I was you know going to say. And, and really I was just pulling it, you know, information that I had gleaned from, you know, just general media exposure around sleep hygiene and, and, uh, and I just, and I, and then I was like, okay, well maybe there's an outcome measure that I can find. And so I, you know, Googled sleep outcome measure and, you know, up came the Pittsburgh uh, sleeps quality index and, you know, and, and that's, you know, it's solid, but I had, and then I had him fill it out. But the problem was I had literally no idea what, how to even interpret anything or what the results <laughs> even meant. Like, you know, and so I think then I was like, well, that wasn't super helpful. And, and so, so I, I found like, and so then I had these other, ex like, so that was sort of the first one. And then I had these other experiences where I, you know, I, I'd have similar, you know, uh, situations where, you know, I, I, again, just give sleep hygiene and they're like, well, no, I already do that. Or, you know, and, and, and then I was, kinda, yeah. Or the, you kind of get that sort of, of, <sighs> yeah, I've heard that yeah. before, or, you know, um, it's all kind of disjointed sorts of things. Yeah, like right? sort of tidbits of information yeah. that yeah. may or may not be helpful. And you just sort of hope that something sticks, that's something they're going to try something that's going to actually work, right? And and obviously, you know, um, 
you know, it was an area that I didn't really know about. And I, truthfully, I started this project, I think, uh, a little bit uh, naive around, you know, mm-hmm. the the amount of information on sleep. And I thought it was initially going to be a book on sleep hygiene rules, really. <laughs> that's all I thought it was going to be. And and then as I started to dive into this topic, I was like, holy smokes, there's actually a lot here. And then there was this whole area around cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia that has a lot of solid research behind it. And the more I looked in the sleep hygiene, I was like, well, actually, there isn't really any very little research around <laughs> really? these uh, these rules. <laughs> you don't say. Yeah, I know. It's surprise, surprise. <laughs> and and the thing was is that there there's been different sleep hygiene rules that have been put out, and there's not even consistency around those uh, rules, right? So, so really, it was like, okay, well, we got to be able to do better than that. And 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 part of it is again, it still felt very disjointed. And the more I looked into, like, okay, well, I better understand what are the processes that actually help us sleep, right? Mm-hmm. And once I started to understand, like, okay, you know, the concepts of sleep drive and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and the 24-hour clock and, 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 you know, the role of melatonin and all that, like, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, this is why... You know, this is you know this is why this is part of a CBT for insomnia program, or this is why the sleep sleep hygiene rule even sort of mm-hmm. came about. And so that uh, understanding all of a sudden started to pull things together because otherwise, right. literally, you get these little tidbits of like, oh, visit the National Sleep Foundation website, and again, it's a great website, but then you get a little bit there, and then you're like, oh, well, I'm going to read this sleep article, you know, research article, but again, you only get a little bit of you know a tidbit there, and so nothing really pulls it together. Yeah, yeah. And so, so I, like I, when I'm, I'm watching you, <laughs> no, not everybody is watching. Obviously, <laughs> nobody else is watching you talk about this. I'm watching you talk about this. And, you know, when, you, when you're saying, you know, I, I, I thought I'd better learn about, you know, some of the processes around sleep. What, what was the most interesting or most um, surprising thing that you learned about sleep, the process of sleep? I think it would be the whole concept of the sleep drive. And I, and I, uh, until I wrapped my head around that, I felt like things were still a little fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Um, and really the concept of the sleep drive is this idea that it's really the pressure to sleep. And so when we wake up in the morning, that pressure to sleep is really at its lowest. Mm-hmm. And as we go through our day, that pressure, that drive to sleep builds, right? Mm-hmm. And until the point where we are overcome by sleep, uh, if we stay up long enough, mm-hmm. right? And um, and there's certain things that either help to promote and build up that pressure to sleep, mm-hmm. or there's things that detract from it. And I think it's really applicable for us as clinicians to, to know what those things are, right? So for example, when we have patients in pain and they're taking a nap in the middle of the day, that's going to decrease that drive to sleep. So now all of a sudden they've they've sort of uh, taken that pressure out, and so now they're going to have a harder time to fall asleep at night because now they've already sort of taken some of that pressure out uh, of the of the of the process there. Whereas like you know physical activity, regular wake times, um, all those things they help to build up that pressure to sleep or that sleep drive. Whereas you know um, you know drinking coffee, having irregular wake times, napping, physical inactivity, mm-hmm. they all. Um, are going to detract from that drive to sleep, right? Now this now this is for people because there might be people out there who are siestaers, yeah. right? That like their fifteen minute, yeah. you know, power yeah. uh, nap. Now, are you speci- speaking specifically about people who are having issues with sleep? Yeah, I would, I versus would... your versus your person who like I I fall asleep talking, right? Yeah. So you know what I mean when we're talking yeah. about sleep drive, yeah. I've you driven off a cliff, to... right? Okay, so. Yeah, and I think it. I think that again, if you're a healthy sleeper, I don't think there's anything. There's nothing wrong with taking a short, you know, right. a short nap, right? But I think the problem is, is that when we have people that uh, and patients that are struggling with their sleep mm-hmm. and they are napping, right? Mm-hmm. Like I had it literally this week. I had a patient who, you know, uh, she's in, you know, experiencing a lot of chronic pain. Uh, you know, comes home at five o'clock in the evening and takes an hour nap, 
and she's struggling with her sleep. And I said, well, you know, like, hang on, like, and then, so I had to talk to her about the sleep drive, right? Um, and so, you know, we got to find different strategies for how, for how she can cope with when she gets home from work rather than sleeping for an hour. Because the moment she does that, that drive to sleep now is going to be, so not only is it going to be harder to fall asleep, but it's going to be harder to stay asleep, right? Yes. And that's and that's the thing, right? We need enough of that pressure to sort of push us through the night uh, in addition to, you know, that support from the 24-hour clock and melatonin secretion and all that, right? So Yeah, and I can imagine, like, I really haven't had problems with sleep, but, you know, uh, I know people who have, um, and and that there's this, the, an anxiety around yeah. not being able to sleep, yeah. right? And yeah. so I imagine that this person is going, okay, well, I can sleep for one hour and I need to get that sleep because if I don't get that sleep, I'm not going to get it and it's gone, exactly. right? You know, yeah. so there's this there's this fear. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, there's a fear too around, you know, well, I'm not going to, I need to get that eight hours of sleep, right? And if I don't get that eight hours of sleep, well, now... I'm going to be lacking in sleep, right? And I think that people need to recognize that there's there's a variation within the population of how much sleep you need, right? And I think we need to take some of that stress out of you know uh, patients in terms of their their belief that okay, well, you know, if I if I don't get a good night's sleep, well now like my my day is going to be ruined, right? And well, think about how much pressure that puts on you to get a good night's sleep, which is now going to make it harder for you to fall asleep or stay asleep, right? And so really, there are those you know those cognitive and behavioral components. Yeah. And I think that you know, being able to provide some solid education around, you know, uh, dispelling some of those, uh, you know, misbeliefs is, I think, is a really important thing. So on that, um, it, you know, how how often have you been able to, do you do this sort of education a lot with, with the patients that you see in your practice? Well, I think that, uh, you know, anytime that I see a patient that, um, you know, they're coming in with persistent pain, mm-hmm syndromes of whatever sort, I think that we need to be having that conversation about sleep because the research just shows, I mean, in clinical practice supports is that people that are experiencing chronic or persistent pain do struggle with their sleep and, and the majority do, right? And that number, you know, from the studies looks anywhere from like 50 to like 90% are struggling with sleep, right? So I think those patients that are, you know, have persistent pain, I think we, we do need to be looking at that. And I think that as well, uh, you know, in any assessment, I, I just ask like, how is your sleep, right? And uh, and I don't think that people often get asked that, right? And I think then if they say, well, you know, it's okay. And I, and I maybe I might delve and say, well, do you have any, you know, problems, fo- you know, falling, a stain, like falling asleep and staying asleep, right? And um, do you feel refreshed in the morning? Um, you know, how would you rate your overall quality of sleep, right? And just those simple questions can start to, to have, you know, to open up a conversation. And it might be that, you know what, I'm going to make a note of this. I'm not going to necessarily you know, delve into this right now, but, but I think we should, you know, have a, you know, conversation about sleep. And I think, um, it's not unlike, you know, when you're having, uh, you know, doing, you know, pain science education, you know, sometimes that education just needs to be that little bit. They just need to sort of fill in some of the, the missing pieces. And other times you need to sort of really sit down and say, you know, we're going to spend a session or two talking about sleep. Right. Um, but it, but it really depends on the patient. And I think it depends too, uh, you know, what they're obviously, you know, the conditions that they're presenting with. Right. Um, in the patients that you have, you know, gone a bit deeper with, um, how do they receive the education that you give them about, about sleep? You know, I think, I think overall, I think it's, it's very positive. I think that uh, a lot of times um, they're, they're looking on, they're Googling, you know, sleep uh, on their own, right? And I mean, I just had a patient this week who was saying, you know, and she's been struggling with her sleep. And, uh, you know, I've been seeing her for, uh, you know, some you know, some MSK related pain. And, and, but, but she, you know, we started to dive into this and she's like, well, yeah, but I've, you know, I've, I've been researching like 
you know, all these different sleep hygiene things and, you know, lavender and, uh, you know, different pillows. And, and, and I think what happens is that people start to, to look for this holy grail in terms of their sleep. Like if I just find the right combination of, you know, this essential oil and, um, you know, this, uh, you know, music and, you know, yeah. whatever meditation Ways, thing, whales, whales singing, whales or... singing in the, in the night, yeah. <laughs> you know, I that's think... always something that's very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that, that but there, there's a search, right? Because people, I mean, I think we, we forget, I mean, when we talk about a biopsychosocial model of yeah. care, right? We, we are, I think a lot of times missing this conversation around a third of what people spend their lives doing, right? And, and somehow we think, well, I can sort of, you know, not have that conversation, right? And whether it's because we don't feel comfortable having that conversation or whether we just don't think it's relevant to the conversation. And we don't know what to do about it. Okay, great. Okay, you're not sleeping well. And so exactly, why don't right? we talk? We'll let the doctor deal with that or we'll, you know. Someone else will deal with somebody it. Else, but I'm obligated to ask you this or I should ask you this. Yeah. Right? And I think there's an opportunity for us as clinicians to, to start to have those conversations, right? And really to think of ourselves as like, can we triage this, right? Uh, and they're really, I mean, a lot of times, you know, um, you know, we think, oh, well, they'd need a sleep referral. But there are, you know, there's a lot of times when people don't need a sleep referral and they actually just need cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And there's some really good research. And there's also some really exciting developments happening uh, in internet-based uh, delivery of uh, some of this retraining. And so so it, it doesn't you know mean that someone has to go to uh, a sleep specialist. So often there's a long wait for those things, right? And, and depending on where you live, may not even be accessible. It may not be accessible, may be expensive. You may be able to have a study done. However, you know, I, I think I'd like to talk about this a little bit more. Well, uh, just not maybe veer off into the business of sleep yeah, yeah, yeah. right now but but um but just in terms of i mean you've talked about the research and this this the book that you've written right um is you really really try to dive into and make sure this is an evidence-informed evidence-based um product and uh you know i guess what was it like to sift through the literature on sleep, given that this isn't something that we really had a strong basis in in school or, you know what I mean? Like this is, you know. Yeah, I, w I would say that, uh, I mean, it was daunting at times, right? I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, I, I reviewed over 200, uh, you know, journal articles on sleep, you know, countless sleep textbooks. And I showed you one here in the yeah. office that is literally. <laughs> <laughs> you can murder somebody. Yeah, well, with that's that right. <laughs> it probably weighs like 30 pounds. Um, and I think, you know, what I really what I wanted to do from the outset was to say, OK, how do we create something that's easily digestible from a content standpoint? And really, that's what we try to do with a lot of the content on Ignite, too, right? Is like, how do we make it so that you know it's easy to to to, uh, to consume that content and then and not only consume the content but actually integrate it into practice i think that there's nothing worse than you know reading a book and you're like oh this is some great you know concepts or whatever and now all of a sudden i've got to teach that to a patient and i have literally no idea what to do right and so part of that was like okay well how do i like what what kind of toolkit can i build around this so that you can have a conversation with a patient around sleep drive and you have a visual there to actually uh, support that, but also to cue you on the things that you should talk about, right? So that you're not having to like, you know, create your own graphics and create your own visuals and whatever, because I think that again, I mean, let's be honest, the likelihood of you doing that is going to be pretty low, right? Or drawing a stick man. <laughs> well, that's right. Like, this person sleeping. Exactly. <laughs> person, this is the, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Right. So I think that that's, um, that was really something that I wanted to I wanted to build in right from from the get-go. And, and that was really with the book, too. I was like, I want to... It was this really hard balance to find. I was like, okay, 
how much information is enough, mm-hmm. right? And and then and what's what's not enough and what's too much, and you know what components do we pull together? Because and and also is something that actually could sort of walk you through the things that again are relevant to practice, right? You know, um, going deep into you know, um, the circadian rhythm and, uh, you know, all the things that are going on with that are not, it's not going to be relevant for a clinician, right? What you want to know is like, okay, what am I going to tell my patients and how does this fit into the overall process of sleep? Right. And, and that was, that was the hard part with the mm-hmm. research. Right. And I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of, uh, mornings, early mornings and late evenings at Starbucks <laughs> <laughs> eating ginger cookies and, <laughs> and drinking tea and yeah. a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that you had mentioned earlier that just, you know, the sleep hygiene, the, the, the literature around sleep hygiene, the, the tips and tricks that we give, there's not a lot of literature behind that. Yeah. Stuff. And I think it's, uh, and, and I think it's one of those things that I think that sleep hygiene Hygiene can be a, a good starting point, you know, and I think there's things that, for example, you know, one that I came across in, in uh, my reading was uh, not having your clock in your in your bedroom, right? Uh, because again, if you're stressed about, uh, you know, your sleep and you're looking at your clock and you're like, oh, now I've been awake for an hour. Oh, now I've been awake for two hours, right? Like your clock is actually going to be a source of stress, right? And sometimes removing that is enough to actually uh, reduce that general anxiety around sleep. And that was one, you know, that was one. But there's a lot of them that are, um, uh, yeah, like that that people already know about. And I, and there was a study that um, uh, that looked at um, you know all the different sleep hygiene rules that were created over the years. And there and the problem is is there's not even like a, you know great consistency on a lot of yeah. these different rules, right? So. You know, I think like I think we sometimes think, oh, well, these are really you know solid evidence-backed yeah. <laughs> rules, and, yeah. and they're not, right? And yeah. and a lot of times, you know, if there are studies, then it's you know very very small study, and you know it, the applicability is going to be you know questionable. And so, again, I think sleep hygiene is a good place to start. I think it, you know it's a, a, a way to sort of have that conversation. But I think what we have to recognize is that someone is struggling with their sleep and with insomnia. It's not going to be enough, well, right? And you want to know what? Like even when you. <laughs> Ironically, when you say sleep hygiene, it's about being sanitary somehow. Yeah, that's you know, right. my, I'm sanitizing my sleep routine, right? And when, like, recognizing that there is a lot of people have a lot of anxiety around sleep mm-hmm. challenges. And when you're, when you can't sleep, oh my gosh, like it would, and what you've outlined in your book, there's a lot of stuff that happens mm-hmm. when we don't sleep well for long periods of time. And, and so, you know, approaching it from you must do this, 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 and this, and this. It's just like approaching any kind of injury we would have, like with a patient, and and really trying to get a sense of who they are as a as a person. What is what are their unique circumstances? What is what is stressing them out, or what seem to me maybe some triggers for them in their insomnia, right? Um, and and really working through it with them, right? Negotiating that with them, yeah. right? Yeah. Hey, Andrew here. Just a quick break from the podcast as I wanted to let you know about an innovative web-based tool that I'm building that's going to help optimize your treatment approach and achieve better results with less stress. The reason I'm building this app is to help myself and other therapists more deeply understand our patients so that we can avoid the potential pitfalls that can jeopardize treatment outcomes. So much of what impacts treatment is hidden below the surface, and this tool will help adjust how you approach each patient based on who they are. Think of it as Outcome Measures 2.0. Make sure to check out the show notes for a link to sign up to get my latest updates. All right, back to the show. Figuring out strategies that are specific to them. 
And I, and I think that, you know, if you, as a clinician, if you, if you have a good understanding of, of the sleep processes and yes. sleep regulation, when you have that conversation about, uh, you know, say reviewing some sleep hygiene rules, you can actually tie that back again to how this relates to sleep regulation and the process of sleep. And I think that if, if you don't have that background, it, like you're just sort of giving information without really any context, right? And and I think that that's something that, uh, you know, it empowers you as a clinician, I think, to, to, to feel a little more confident, even just having that conversation around sleep hygiene. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it makes me, it just makes me think maybe, you know, like the times that we, we, we say to, to patients, you know, well do this, like don't watch TV before this night. No, 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 no. You know what I mean? And, and, and if it's not working, Mm -hmm. then your credibility, you know, as a professional is, it could be threatened. Right. And, you know, and, and your relationship with that, with that patient is threatened. And so it's, it's, uh, you know, I just I just think of all the things that we tell people to do. Yeah. That, you know, and but me even saying we're telling this yeah, patient yeah. to do this, yeah. right? I think we get pretty dictatorial with sleep hygiene things, right? Absolutely. Because Absolutely. these are the these are the t- like wash your hands, yeah. you know, and you know turn off your television before a certain time. Right? And, I, and I think that someone who's struggling with their sleep, they've already they've already done some digging <laughs> on this, right? So this is not uh, this is not new information a lot of times for them, yeah. right? And I and I think uh, you know one of the things I like to tell my patients too is that sleep is a behavior right and and when they recognize that it's not about trying to find that you know perfect elixir yeah uh, for your sleep and and you know it's like those that, that classic story where you know someone uh you know uh can only fall asleep uh watching tv in front of the couch mm-hmm. and then the moment they go to bed they're wide awake right well you've just you've paired sleep with tv and couch mm-hmm. you have not paired sleep with your bed and bedroom right and i think that that's where we you know and i think that's you know one of the challenges too is that technology is just, you know, it's become so pervasive in our lives, right? We, I mean, if we don't have our phone with us at all times, you know, we, 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 we have like a nervous breakdown, yeah. right? But I think that, you know, people that are, you know, on their, you know, watching TV in bed or like, you know, on their phones in bed or, you know, doing work in bed, like that is, that is not going to help pair sleep uh, with your bed, right? And I think we have to recognize those, that there really is there a lot of behavioral conditioning that we need to be looking at. Um, and, and, and I think having that conversation with patients to say, okay, well, you know, let's talk about like, what is your bed and bedroom for? Like it should be for sleep and sex and, and, and keeping it at that, at that. Right. And, and really not trying to sort of confuse your body's, uh, you know, conditioning around that. So, okay. So now if you said that to me, I'd be like, sure, it sounds like a great idea. However, right. Really hard thing to, to, differentiate Absolutely. right to start, especially if you have a partner who wants to be watching television <laughs> right Absolutely. so so i guess i guess and i'm not certainly not we don't need to get into this conversation <laughs> right now but uh, but but like like how you how you go about beginning to negotiate a weaning off of or a titrating of or or you know creatively um you know, helping patients work through that. So it's not an all or none because Absolutely. that can be exceptionally daunting too. And and all of a sudden there's a, the patient pulls back because you're going, well, you're making me, you know, give up something that my partner's not going to be happy about. And so I'm not going to do that at all. Right. Yeah. And I think really what it, it comes down to too, is like saying, okay, what are the, what, what's the one thing that's going to make a big difference, right? Like say, for example, you know, um, you know, if we say, well, you know, like having a regular wake up time is important and, you know, sleeping in the weekend, if you're struggling with your sleep may not help that 24 hour clock, uh, in terms of that regulation. Well, that might be secondary to the fact that they're taking a nap at three or four o'clock in the afternoon. 
every day mm -hmm. and not building up that sleep drive, right? So really it's about saying, okay, well, let's figure out what, what that, yeah. that key thing is and yeah. let's see if we can sort of put some energy and some motivation around that. And truthfully, if you're struggling with your sleep, you're generally pretty motivated to, <laughs> to find some yeah. ways to improve sleep, right? Yeah. It's not, uh, you know, it's not some, you know, esoteric exercise that may or may not have an impact uh, at some point in the distant future, right? Yeah, and and I know we talked in like a little bit earlier. You mentioned it, just the the association with sleep and pain, you know. And obviously, that we see people with pain. Usually, people are coming to a physio because they're having a challenge with with some sort of painful condition or or, or an impairment, right? Or and reducing function. So, how does how is how is that? How do those two cross, or how do they they become you know related to one another in terms of the clinical? Yeah, interaction. No, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, that the research on this is still very much, I think it's an, in its infancy, like it's, it, you know, and I, but it's exciting stuff. I mean, I think, that, you know, when you, when you asked about like, well, what was sort of the big takeaway and was, you know, and, and one of the things from, from all the reading I did was, was around this whole topic of sleep and pain, right? And I think that, um, you know, it makes sense like okay well if i have an acute ankle injury and my ankle's throbbing my sleep is going to be impacted right and 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 injury can impact and and and, and contribute to acute insomnia right mm -hmm. but i think what's what where a lot of the really neat stuff is going on is around looking at um the role that sleep has in terms of influencing pain right mm -hmm. and so we just a lot of times, you know, and I think sort of uh, casually think, well, you know, pain's going to contribute to sleep, the disturbance, mm -hmm. but how does sleep disturbance actually influence pain, right? And so they've done some really cool stuff, and, and there's some, um, some and there's, you know, uh, studies looking at, uh, you know, if you have disrupted sleep, your actual uh, sensitivity to, you know, your pain threshold basically uh, decreases. So your, your increased sensitivity to pain, um, you know, next day. And they've, you know, there's, they're doing more and more of this work looking at, you know, what are the, the specific pathways that are being influenced with disrupted sleep? And, and what they're finding is that there's some shared pathways between persistent pain and uh, sleep. And so, you know, there's, I mean, we can go obviously into a lot more depth on that, but it, but I think that, I think we need to have those conversations with our patients because I think that that's really where, um, you know, that education process is important. And if you have someone that is, um, you know, struggling with chronic or persistent MSK pain and you haven't talked about sleep and, you, and then that hasn't been addressed, I think that that could be potentially a missing link in, in terms of recovery for that person. Yeah, and, and it also makes me think of just the overlay between um, between uh, pain and the emotional centers of the brain as well. So all of that, like, and I know in in the, in the book, there's a there's the piece on depression and you know and mood and anxiety, right? And so um, so all of these things, like you know, we, we like to separate everything, right? But we're talking about systems, yeah. and and systems that are that are overlapping and influencing. Um, one another and they really aren't that separate so so looking at and sometimes in terms of the mechanism yeah. <laughs> like which is where where if you target one and can have an influence there then you know and if you can select that that area or that that system maybe it is sleep for 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 some people that is going to uh, have a cascading effect in terms of uh, of how they move forward yeah well and I mean I think that you know the you know, the, the impact of poor sleep, I mean, not only, you know, affects uh, pain, but it affects our mood, it affects our motor performance, it affects uh, motivation, it, you know, there's so many different components that we 
as clinicians have to draw on in terms of uh, helping that patient move forward in their you know in their treatment plan and their recovery and and overall function. And so I think that um, you know even if someone um, uh, you know is is having issues uh, around their treatment program and in recovery, you know, and they may not uh, maybe it's not even necessarily around chronic pain, but it but but sleep might be an influencing factor in terms of motivation and and all of that, right? So I think that we have to we have to look at sort of these, you know, the 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 overall picture and say, okay, you know what, sleep might be a, a part of the the uh, the piece of the pie here. Yeah, exactly. And so you alluded to it a little bit earlier in terms of of triaging and physios triaging, you know, um, and being being maybe that practitioner that really takes a bit of a deeper dive mm-hmm. and seeing it as um, as maybe an area of health mm-hmm. that we can take some leadership in and um, and 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 really um, be able to initiate some conversations at least and where those conversations go, you know. But but at the same time, is is physiotherapy adding adding impact to the healthcare system? Yeah, and I think, it, you know, for some people that's going to stress them out and other people that's going to make them excited, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, I mean, it sort of depends on where you fall on that, you know, side of the fence. But, you know, I, you know, I remember, you know, that the leadership forum we went to, you know, and, and Dave Walton was talking about sort of, you know, these new areas that, uh, you know, um, the opportunities for physiotherapists to take a little leadership role within the healthcare system. And I think that sleep is, is one of those, right? Well, you know, sleep, because everybody sleeps, mm-hmm. And it, it also makes me think about breath work and breathing and, and, you know, how we take these things for granted, right? And really, do we have to reinvent things to be experts at or could we just go, this is, these are basic essentials and this is how we, you know, what we need to address within our practice. Yeah. Body awareness, breath, yeah. sleep, yeah. and, you know, and also, you know, obviously what we're, we're doing physiologically with people and physically with people, but... But at the same time, there there are cornerstones maybe of health yeah. <laughs> that you know that we can we can actually be leaders. Absolutely, and I think that um, I, I think there's a real opportunity, and I think that you know we have to obviously practice within our scope, and 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 uh, I think that's really important. And and then I think that part of it too is also just knowing what resources are available, yeah. and and just having a better sense of of the overall topic, so that you say you know what like you know what, based on these criteria, um, you know, uh, you know, I think that, you know, should be talking to your doctor about, you know, sleep study or referral, right? Um, or, you know what, uh, you actually score, you know, pretty high on the stop bang measure for sleep apnea, uh, obstructive sleep apnea. And you know what, we, we should, you should be talking to your doctor about that, right? And I think that, I mean, that's one of the things I real, you know, discovered too, is that, I mean, the uh, the 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 percentage of people that are undiagnosed with sleep apnea um, is is significant, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think again, because we are, you know, a primary healthcare provider, and we are we are taking the time with patients. I think there, like you know, there's there's things that we can help to triage um, effectively, and and I think uh, save our patients a lot of grief. But I mean, these are the kind of things I think as healthcare providers we can. Uh, start to you know be an extra set of eyes and ears, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 support you know our patients, uh, you know, and and also uh, you know have those conversations with their family doctors as well, right? Well, and you know, I think I think you said something in in terms of support, mm-hmm. right? People who are really having a hard time with sleep, um, 
sleep is a lonely thing because everybody else is sleeping around you and you're not sleeping, right? You know, and so it's not like you can, I think it's a very frustrating, anxiety provoking space to be in. And, um, and so if you can be that provider who acknowledges Mm -hmm. the challenges, acknowledges that, you know, these sleep hygiene tricks that they've tried, you know, yeah, there's more than that, that, (laughs) right. You know, you're not quote unquote crazy. You're not, you know, this is, this is a really, what you're telling me is really, I I really want to hear about this. Right. And I really want to try to help you within what I can do to help you with this. Well, and I, I had a patient, uh, you know, speaking on that point, I had a patient who, you know, had brought up uh, her concerns around sleep, uh, you know, a number of times with a doctor. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, I think that there can be this feeling like, well, everyone struggles with their sleep or everyone's not getting enough <laughs> sleep, right? And so it's almost dismissed, you know, and can be dismissed. And I think that that's something that uh, is, uh, you know, is really a, a tragedy because I think that we, again, we underestimate how vital, you know, refreshing sleep is. And, you know, when I started to look at like the health consequences, you know, increased uh, risk of obesity and diabetes and all this that goes along with uh, poor sleep. It's, it's one of those things you're like, okay, you know what, we can't, we can't just sort of brush this off as, as being, well, you know what, every's, everyone's busy, everyone's not getting enough sleep. So suck it up. It's it's societal, it's a societal problem. And so somehow we go, well, we can't do anything about it. Exactly. Right. And there's also this thing of like biohacking and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and we almost are like, Oh, that person only needs five hours of sleep. Right. Or, you know, and I think that we almost put people on a pedestal like, Oh, well, you know, they only need that much. And so, wow, we should all be able to do that. Exactly. Right. Or we like, or how are we going to cheat to sleep? Right. And I, and I've, you know, I've read some stuff on, you know, this, this biohacking concept and we're, you know, okay, what can you, what kind of supplements and things can you do to like, you know, get down to four hours and you know a night and 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 you're like well hang on a second like why are you trying like there there is a process here that your body goes through that a restorative process in terms of the slow wave and REM sleep that needs to that needs to happen right and who are we to think that we can somehow just sort of circumvent this process and like somehow be like oh well this is going to just you know uh, you know, be enough to basically survive uh, indefinitely uh, and, and, and not just survive, but thrive, right? I think that that's, uh, so anyway, so I think, I mean, that's a whole other tangent, but I think it's, again, it's, it's, it's really about, like, we need to start having those conversations around, you know, beliefs around sleep, right? And I think that it, you know, obviously there's a lot of different offshoots, which is why we need to have, we need to speak, you know, and have that conversation with the individual patient, right? It's not just that checklist you were talking about, right? It's not just about, you know, follow this rule. It's about, let's sit down and let's talk about this. And and what's important for you? Like, you know, I, I it's funny because when we're talking about pedestals, you know, I, I can say that I have never had to pull an all-nighter I could because you want to know what I don't think I could yeah. because <laughs> I've only done it once and it was and, not. <laughs> and, and I, because honestly, like you know, but but I know people who you know in work environments or whatever that that they'll maybe get they'll work until three or four. And I'm like, I don't know how you do it because I will I will my head will fall on my desk yeah. right. But yet it's like this. Oh well, you know, there's an expectation of being able to do that, yeah. and and it's it's. It's one of those, yeah, like uh, you were saying, it's a pedestal. Well, so-and-so can, you know, pull on iron and work this. And I'm like, well, hey, you know, I don't, I won't for any reason. And I don't think I could. Exactly, right? (laughs) Even Even if I really wanted to. 
it's not going to be a successful uh, it's experience. It's not going to be successful. <laughs> yeah. And you have to be around me the next morning. It's even less successful. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, no. <laughs> and no amount of coffee is going to help. And no amount of coffee <laughs> is going to help yeah. that yeah. action, right? Yeah. So, well, I think that we've covered a lot today in terms of sleep. And I think I'm hoping that we've wet. Uh, people's appetite, uh, practitioners' appetite to to learn a little bit more about sleep. Um, and really, I think what you've really said is important and just we need to understand the sleep process. And it actually is really cool. Yeah. And it's yeah. super interesting. Yeah. And there are crossovers with pain yeah. and there are crossovers with emotion. Yeah. And, and what we're, but bottom line is what we're doing now yeah. is not good enough. So if you're going to bring up sleep with a patient, it's our responsibility to take some leadership and to actually know a little bit more about that area. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think we have a real opportunity, to be honest. And I think that the challenge of sleep is not going to go away as, as technology becomes, you know, and continues to become more pervasive. I think it's, it's something that we, uh, uh, I think, you know, generally as a society, we have to put better, better boundaries around our sleep and we need to protect it because we have to, we have to elevate its importance uh, in our lives, right, as a whole. And I think that for those that are struggling with sleep, they already realize how important it is because they're not getting enough of it. Um, and I think that as clinicians, I think we can, we can, start to have those conversations, uh, you know, with them and, uh, and help them, uh, you know, just become, you know, healthy sleepers again. Well, thanks Andrew for yeah. being on the Ignite yeah. podcast. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if people are interested, you can check it out at uh, sleephealthmatters.com. That's the website I put up for, for the book and, and resources. So. Yeah. Yeah. Some great resources. Like you said, it's trying to bridge that, um, research to practice, um, kind of gap in, in creating an accessible way to, to, to learn about sleep. And that if you want to go deeper, there's like a lot of good literature there that you can, you can access because Andrew's actually, um, referenced it. Yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> <It's a long. laughs> uh, but, but also, but also there are like tools, um, that you can use yeah. with your, with your patients, um, in an educational kind of format. Fantastic. Great. Glad to be on the show. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. It's uh, great having you on the show today. Uh, now, if you've been enjoying the new show, I'd love for you to leave a review on uh, iTunes as this just helps uh, more people find out about the podcast and we'd love to, to get your feedback. And if you want to check out the show notes uh, from the podcast, just go to ignitephysio.ca forward slash podcasts. And if there's any topics that you want us to cover, just uh, shoot us an email at hello at ignitephysio.ca and we'll make sure to get back in touch with you and, and see what we can do there. So anyways, thanks for joining us on the show today. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.